Come on, you may have a seat. this to be a religious exercise as we just come before him and we take communion and we open it and we take the, the little cracker and we drink the juice and we just we do it just because the Lord told us to do it. I don't want it to be some religious exercise. It needs to be something that we're truly amazed that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that which was forever and eternal, left heaven, put himself on a cross to deal with our sin issue. He didn't come to deal with his issue. He came to deal with my issue. And he came to deal with your issue. We don't come into our time of communion as just a religious exercise because it's just what we do. We come into a time of communion to say, God, I remember where I was. I remember what it took. I remember the price that was paid for me. Like, I remember that. Right? I remember the price that was paid for me in my sin. I deserve death. The wages of sin equals death. I deserve that. And when, when I understood I deserved death for all eternity, but God said, Sean, I love you. And I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to deal with an issue that you cannot deal with. Church, if you think for a moment that you can deal with your sin issue, you've been lied to. Jesus dealt with our sin issue. You can't deal with that, Jesus did. And when you understand the beautiful, amazing depth of the work of the cross for you and I. That God says, I loved you so much that I gave my own son. And when I gave my own son, his blood was enough. The sacrifice and the shed blood of Christ on a cross was enough to deal with your sin issue. And please, I don't want us to get in our mindset going, oh man, I don't really sin that much. Or man, uh, the opposite can be true as well. Go, man, I have such a past and I have such deep sin and I don't know. I don't know if he could forgive me. Come on, church, please, listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believeth on him will not perish. Do you not believe that your sin has been dealt with? And in that, to God, I love you and I'm amazed by you. I love you with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my strength, with all of my soul, everything within me. Jesus said this. Jesus, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus like, love me back. Just we don't come to communion because we have to. We don't come to communion because it's a religious exercise. We come to communion because I know, I know my sin has been forgiven. I know the sacrifice that which Jesus had to make for me. Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, left heaven, put on flesh through the Virgin Mary, lived this perfect, innocent life without sin for a purpose to get to the cross. To do something that you and I could never do. Deal with our sin issue. And when you know Jesus was beaten, you know that Jesus was tied to a post and he was shredded 
Jesus hung on a cross and he was unrecognizable as a human being. And he says, remember that it was for you. A price that had to be paid that you nor I could pay. And the foundation of it is God says, Sean, I love you. What is getting in the way of that this morning for you? Do you understand the love of the Father? Do you understand the depth of his love for you? The picture of that is Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, hanging so brutally and so shredded that you can't recognize him as a man hanging on a cross as payment for you for sin. What is our response to that? Do we just stop and be all and wonder and amazement? God, you love me that much. That's my worth. That's what you think of me. So you would put your son to die on a tree in such a horrifying death that his blood was shed as a sacrifice for my sin. Watch this so that I could be forgiven. Church, when the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, that speaks to the depth and the volume of the cross. But for you and I, man, if you're a born-again believer in this place this morning, and you understand what it means to be forgiven, you understand the depth of pardon, you understand what it means to be redeemed, what, what it means to be bought back, that price that had to be paid. When something's bought back or paid for, there is a price that has to be paid in order for that to be purchased. And you and I were purchased by the valuable, precious blood of Christ. That's how valuable you are. That's your worth. So this morning, I don't want anyone in this place or anyone online or listening to shortchange the value of the precious blood. To know my past, please hear this. My past has been forgiven. The word forgiven, it means to be pardoned or it means released. The Bible says that he remembers our sin no more. That doesn't mean that he forgets them because we have a God who knows all things. That means that he chooses not to bring them to remembrance. Isn't that amazing? That the blood of Christ was shed on the cross so that you and I could be free and forgiven and that God's not going to bring up our sin again. It says he buries them in the depths of the sea. God doesn't have that supernatural fishing pole that brings up our sin. Church, what is it when you know? Come on, when you know, when you get it. No, I am free. No, I am forgiven. No, my past has been cleansed. I think there needs to be a release of that today, communion. It is by the precious blood of Jesus. Don't take communion because of religious. Take communion because of relationship, because you know God loved me personally. He loves me. This means everything to me. This become very personal to me. Years ago, it became very personal to me that Jesus, I get it. I am forgiven. My past is cleansed. My future is cleansed. There is a day that I get to stand before the throne and be declared innocent because of the beautiful work of the cross. And man, there's these moments that we just continuously fall in love with him 
off of a relationship of what the cross deeply means that I am free, that I am forgiven by the precious, powerful sacrifice and the shed blood of Christ uh, on, the, on the cross. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold. Isn't that amazing that there was a price that had to be paid? Church, there was a price that had to be paid for sin. And it wasn't silver, it wasn't gold. It wasn't all the silver in the world. It wasn't all the gold in the world. When you start thinking silver and gold, man, that can just be like, that's a lot. Not enough. Not enough. All that will fade away. I love where the Lord puts this in the context of silver and gold. Listen, you can purchase just about anything with silver and gold on a tangible sense. He's like, no, this is something that has to be a particular one-time purchase. Watch. But you were purchased with the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, and that's the blood of Christ. Church, when you get focused on the cross and you get focused on that precious blood, that's innocent, perfect blood that Jesus literally left heaven, put on flesh, put himself on purpose on a cross to deal with your sin and to deal with my sin. Come on, you just bow your heads just for a moment and then we're going to take communion. But if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, man, I beg you today, please recognize your need for Christ. Recognize your need for Jesus. Everything has been done for you. Everything has been accomplished. When Jesus said it is finished, he means it is accomplished. It is done. The price was paid. Sin paid. Wrath covered. Put on him so it doesn't have to be put on you. Do you know Jesus? Do you understand the beautiful work of the cross? Not based off religion, not based off class, not based off attendance, not based off your giving. Do you know Jesus based off of your sin? Because I know that my sin has been forgiven by the work of the cross. Past sin, present sin, future sin. I will stand before the throne declared innocent because I know Jesus died for me. And you're called to repent from your sin. Acknowledge sin equals death. I acknowledge that. Man, I turn. I change my mind towards sin. I recognize sin separates me from God. I change my mind towards sin. I repent. Second thing is that you would believe in Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father but through me. Do you really believe that it's only Jesus? He's not a way. He's the way. He's not just one of the answers. He's the only answer. And when we really understand, okay, I need to repent from my sin, but I need to believe that it's Jesus put himself on a cross for me because the Father loves me, that he sacrificed his son for me, and Jesus is the only way. And then the third step is that you would just confess that he is Lord, that you would surrender just simply saying, God, in this moment, I put myself under you. I surrender to you. God, I surrender to you. God, I surrender to you. Jesus, you are my king, and Jesus, you are my Lord, and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I repent from my sin. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I call on your name that in this moment that I would be saved and that I would be safe because of the beautiful work done for me on that tree. 
Man, if you're in this place with your head bowed and you know that you're born again, but you know that you wandered, man. You know that there's, I've lost that love, man. I've lost that step. I've lost that intimacy. Man, I'm, I'm praying that today would be a day that you would begin to close that gap. Today would be a day that you begin to move more towards God as he's not going anywhere for you. He loves you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He loves you in this moment of communion. It's a time to remember Jesus did that for me and I want to close the gap. Man, I don't want this distance between me and my father. I am tired of running. I'm tired of drifting. I need to come back and in this moment, you can make it right with him to come back to him and say, I am done with, with, with my past. I'm done with the sin that I currently live in. God, forgive me of my sin again. And he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And that's to the church. That's to the believer. In this moment, church, it's time to close the gap. And it's time to return. Man, if you would just take your communion and you would take the bread and you take the blood, and it's just simple as this, man. Jesus Christ said, listen, remember this. Remember the cost. Remember the price. Remember what it took. And he said that the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead, please. Man, the same way he took the cup and said, there's a new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this. Church, what is it to know I am forgiven? To know that I am free. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And I am free. And I am forever forgiven. And I am forever free to the glory of God. And Jesus like, listen, remember the powerful, precious blood of the Lamb. There is power in the blood of Jesus to forgive sin. And he says, remember that. Don't ever shortchange that, that you are free and that you are forgiven past, present, and future. And he just simply says, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead, please. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love you. We're amazed by you. We thank you for the cross. And I pray that we would, with all of our heart, just simply be amazed by you and love you back, that this would be so personal to us that, God, it would move in us and change us in Jesus' name. Church, would you please just stand to your feet as we just close out this time of worship and this time of communion with truly just crying out about the precious blood of the Lamb. Come on.
wash away my sins. and we are redeemed and we are made new. Jesus, you are beautiful. We thank you for, your, for our time and your presence. God, I pray we never take it for granted. In your name I pray, amen. Come on, you may have a seat. Come on, praise the Lord. Come on, my encouragement is this, man. Don't let the enemy play with your head. If you understand the power of the blood of the lamb, don't let the enemy play with your head. Don't get yourself into your past sin. Don't get yourself into your past that you know that, wait a minute, no, I am free and I am forgiven. And you can just simply say the blood was enough. Church, what happens when you get that? What happens when you can deeply say, no, the blood was enough. I am forgiven and I am free. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm not going to allow guilt to take over. I'm not going to let shame take over. No, I am forgiven and I am free. And I will not, watch this now, I will not shortchange the power of the blood of Christ that was shed for me. And when he says I am forgiven, that means I am forgiven. When he says I am free, that means I am free. If I've been bought, bought for and paid for and I have been bought back, that means I belong. If I am adopted as a son or a daughter, that means I am his. Church, what happens when you begin to fight back with the truth of God's word, with the enemy in your head, when he wants to bring up the past, and he wants to bring up and make you feel less than because of something you did years ago, but no, we fight back and say, no, the blood was enough, and I am free, and I am forgiven. Can somebody say amen, please? Amen. Here we go. Come on. Man, we are in James 5. We're going to go to Matthew 6. Um, uh, James 5, Matthew 6. Man, we have been going through the book of James. We're excited about it. And uh, we are closing this baby out probably today. I say probably. Depends uh, how far we get. So I uh, wanted to close it out last week, but we are extending. We're on extended version, man. This is the added extra, and it's beautiful. So we are pumped that you are with us. Uh, can we say hello to our WDCX listeners? First time they are with us at the 11 o'clock. BC, can we welcome them, please? Amen. Here we go. Let's go. 
Come on, we are excited about joining arms with WDCX and getting the message and the worship of what God is doing through Believer's Chapel, through the worship word, out to the greater Toronto area and beyond. Man, that is Buffalo and beyond. And being on the show this past week was great. And they were like, hey, let's just check this out. Like, if you are listening to us, let's show Sean exactly how far this baby goes. And man, there's Toronto, which is huge. And then it was up beyond and around and it just, this, this radio goes so far. And church, this is on us as a church. And we are excited to see what God is doing in and through Believer's Chapel, in and through our partnership with WDCX now, uh, two-year contract. We're juiced about that. We're excited, man. I'm excited to be able to see what God is going to do, that many will come to know him in a real way. Many will repent and turn, and we're going to see the power of God by his spirit move in such a powerful way through this radio station that we are now with them. I'm just juiced about that, man. I'm excited for it, and I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to be with our partners at WDCX and do some great things there. Come on, James 5. Let's just ask God to move. God, thank you for our time of communion. Thank you for your word. God, I ask that your word would just speak to us today. Continue to speak to us today from your word. That God, we would be in such great relationship with you. And God, we would cry out to you knowing that you hear us. So God, feed us today. Father, we are hungry for your word. God, that you would feed us today and that we would hear it and respond to it. In Jesus' name, come on, amen. BC, you hungry? Yes, all right, all right. They're ready for the word. Here we go. Come on, James 5, one verse, and then we're going to get into Matthew chapter 6, please. James 5, um, I want you to see this, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of the righteous man will accomplish much. The effective prayer of the righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer the effective prayer of the righteous man can accomplish much. And my question is this. You've heard me say it. When you're studying scripture, ask questions. When you're studying scripture, ask questions. So if the effective prayer of the righteous man can accomplish much, my question even to myself and my question to you is, are your prayers accomplishing much? Like when we close James and it's talking about a powerful prayer life, do your prayers accomplish much? Do you walk in righteousness? That means being right with God according to what God says is right, right? Being right with God according to what God says is right. Not the world, not the politics. Does, what does God say? Follow that right according to what God says is right. That's righteousness, right? And it says it will accomplish much. So the question is, is your prayer life accomplishing much? Is your prayer life accomplishing anything? What is your prayer life? Do we pray? And church, I am hoping that even through this, last week, this week, that there is the spark within you and I. There is this fire that begins to get in our spirit of what it is to pray, knowing that God the Father, who is, who is the creator of heaven and earth, who creates all things, the very air that we breathe, he allows us to breathe, that how great and almighty God is, he actually is interested in what you have to say. Church, what happens when that sinks in? What happens when you're like, okay, we are called to pray. And listen, please hear me. I don't want us to have a prayer life based off of, a, of a religious practice, based off of because I have to, right? We, we go into the whole, God bless my Captain Crunch, have a great day. And then we move on, right? Because we have to pray for the Captain Crunch because there's just a little bit of sugar in it. So God can remove the sugar and we're fine with that, right? <laughs> but you understand like, what happens when your prayer life becomes zealous and it becomes passionate and becomes real and it becomes on purpose and it becomes intentional? 
What happens then? Compared to just this religious practice. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We just go through the Lord's Prayer as a religious practice. We don't even know what we're actually saying. Right, when they ask Jesus, hey, how do you pray? They recognize Jesus went off by himself to secluded places and he prayed and then he prayed and then he prayed and he'd be by himself and he'd pray and they're like, hey, teach us to do that. Do you think when the Bible says that Jesus went off and prayed all night long that he literally just said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Do not lead us in temptation. Protect us from the enemy. Like, and then he was done. Church, there is a beautiful, beautiful pattern and a beautiful purpose in Matthew 6 where Jesus says, pray this way. Turn with me, please, to Matthew 6. And I'm hoping that there is truly a spark in our time before the Lord and our spark in our prayer life and just understanding what is it to truly pray? What is it to truly cry out to the Lord knowing that he hears us? We covered it in Psalm 116 last week that what is it that I love you, Lord, because you hear me? Church, what is it when you know, man, my relationship with him? Again, the, 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 one of the biggest pieces of a relationship is God loves me and I'm called to love him back, not based off of religious practice, not based off of my church attendance. Not, because he loves me, I love him back. That's relationship. Because I'm born again. Because I'm a child of God. When you get that, church, there should be a shift in us that we get past the religious practice and we get into our beautiful spiritual disciplines. And one of those is what it is to truly pray and to pray with power and to pray with passion and to pray with a zeal, knowing that God Almighty, he literally hears me when I pray. And what is it to go through the Lord's prayer as Jesus said, hey, listen, Pray like this, but he's not just saying like pray it verbatim, understand the depth of, of the different parts of this prayer. Right, when you, when you see it in Matthew 6, we pick it up right in verse 8. This is amazing. Verse 8 says this. So do not be like them. He's talking about the ones who pray and, and they pray with, with, their, with, with their big language and they pray so everybody can listen to them and they pray with all of their big words. And Jesus is like, don't be like those guys. Don't be like the religious people. They do it for show. They want attention. Don't do it like that. And then he says this. He says, pray in a way where you pray and he already knows what you're going to ask. Isn't it amazing in verse 8? So do not be like them for your father knows what you need even before you ask. Isn't that incredible? So, it's not like we're asking because God doesn't know what we need. God doesn't know what we're asking. He already knows what we need even before we ask, but we're still encouraged to come before him based off of this relationship of my understanding of God Almighty that we are called to pray with a zeal and pray with a passion. We're called to come before him. It doesn't necessarily mean you come with the big words like the religious leaders who love the show. You've been around people, they love to pray and they love to pray for attention. And you realize, ah, that's, ah, that, that, wow, what was that? 
It's kind of like the young man who was praying and he's in like this, this serious English class and you've got the English teacher and the English teacher's listening to this young man pray and he's just, he's just praying, he's messing up words, he's botching everything. It was just this, to her ears, it was like chalk on, on you know, fingers on a chalkboard and she's like, oh. And then when he got done, she came over and said, young man, that was horrible. And the young man looked at the lady and said, well, lady, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Church, what is it when we know we're crying out to the, to the Father above that hears and listens to us? And Jesus said, pray like this, and just, it's just simple. And you know it, maybe you have it memorized. as our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, this is based off of relationship. Almighty, spiritual, blah, blah, blah. No, it, you are my Father. When we cry out to him, it's based off of relationship, not religion. The almighty spiritual being and the big guy in the sky, not, not that. It's no, you know me. I am your son or I am your daughter and you are my heavenly father and I belong to you. Our father, there's relationship in that. It screams relationship. Our father who is in heaven, there's position. Hallowed be your name. It means your very name is holy. I come before you with great reverence. I come before you with great honor. I come before you with great respect. For I know that you are holy. I don't come before you and play games. I don't come before you and mock you in prayer. I come before you in reverence. For the very name that I'm calling out to is holy. For holy is your name. For holy is your name. God, you are completely separate from anything that is profane or defiling. I come to you based on my relationship as a father and son. Because of the beautiful work of the cross, I belong. And I come before you with great reverence and respect because you are holy. And it says this. Watch this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. God, let us be kingdom-minded. Church, truly, what is it to be kingdom-minded? What is it to, 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 to think kingdom? Think dominion, God's dominion, God's kingdom. Your kingdom come. God, your will be done. Church, what is it to pray God's will be done? God, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want to see your mighty hand move. God, I want to see your power and your authority. God, I want to see your will be done. As a church, as Believer's Chapel, we want to see God's will be done in this region. We want to see families come to Christ. We want to see children come to Christ. We want to see husbands doing their part. We want to see women doing their part as wives. We want to see young adults and high school students being so strong and fearless because they have a foundation of truth. And we're asking God, God, let your will be done in this region. Church, this is huge for us. We've been praying this and asking God to move because we know it's God's desire and we know that it's God's will for all to come to him. We know that there is truth and there is lies. We know that he's called us to be bold and unashamed. He's called us on the front lines. He's called us to be strong as his followers to live in such a place of this world where they may hate you as much as they hated Jesus. 
And in that, we're saying, God, let your will be done. God, move mightily in this region and beyond. God, that there will be teenagers who are fearless, teenagers who are bold. There will be college students that go out and change the world because they will be the godly difference makers because of who they are, because they want God's will to be done. Church, what happens when you dig into this and you're like, God, this is personal. This isn't religion. This is personal. God, I need your will to be done in my life. God, I need your will to be done in this region. God, I want your will to be done in this school. God, I want your will to be done in this college. God, I want your will to be done in my workplace. Church, what happens when you become kingdom-minded? And it's not just about you. But it's about kingdom. It truly is, God, I want your will to be done. Church, what is it at times that gets in the way of your prayer life? The Bible says that sin can interfere. If you have known sin in your life and you don't deal with it, if you know that God has called you to something, if you know that you're not following the simplicity of the obedience of the word, that will interfere with your prayer life. And I love that we just come enough communion that we simply say, God, forgive me. See, what is it even in marriage? Church, do you know that there is, you hear this often here, do you know that there is such a power and there is such authority between a husband and a wife when you get together and you pray? When you come before him as a father and you come before him in great reverence and respect that his very name is holding, you come before him kingdom-minded as a husband and wife. What happens when you realize that your marriage is bigger than the both of you, that it represents Christ in the church? And what happens, watch this man, hear this, please. What happens when you place your marriage in the kingdom language? It's not just about Ray and I in our marriage. It's about Ray and I reflecting uh, that this, this reflects and looks like Christ in the church. Marriage is bigger than just your marriage. You're a picture of Christ in the church to the world. That's huge. He could have picked anything. And he picked a husband and a wife in marriage to picture Christ in the church. What happens when your prayer life between a husband and a wife begins to reflect a kingdom mindset? God, let our marriage reflect Christ in the church. Let our marriage be that example. Let our marriage be that light that would draw people not to us, but to you. God, let our marriage, not that it's perfect or we walk on water, but God, let our marriage be that one that we understand our marriage is about kingdom. Our marriage is about kingdom. It's about dominion. It's about authority. And God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right here on earth, God, let us be kingdom-minded. Right here on earth, God, let our marriage, let our union as a husband and wife reflect that of Christ in the church. Do you realize that there is such a power and there is a true union where the Bible says two become one. One plus one equals one. That's God's mathematical equation that it's, it's no longer about you, but it's about us and it's about the kingdom. And what happens when a husband and wife who are now automatically, supernaturally, spiritually unified and they begin to pray? What happens in that agreement? What happens in that unity? It is truly some of my favorite moments of getting to pray with Renee. And it's not, by no means is it seven days a week by any means. But several times a week, we will have our time of devotion. And then after our time of devotion, we will get on our face and we will pray. We'll lay hands on each other and we'll just move in the spirit of God to pray. 
and you pray for your kids and you pray for your grandkids and you pray for your region and you pray for your marriage and you begin to cry out to God for one another with the struggles of life and you begin to ask God to move in finances. You begin to ask God to move in your pains and your hurts, but you do it together unified as a husband and wife who are already one supernaturally. Church, there's a power in that. There is an authority in that. And I don't know if we tap into that enough. I honestly don't know, like, just simply, like, if you are married, husband and wife, do you understand the power that you have to fight the enemy, the power that you have to proclaim the name of Christ, the power that you have as a husband and wife, and the, and the reality of what it means to pray and to keep praying and to keep praying together, and there's a power in that, and there's a union in that, and you guys are fighting the enemy when they come against your kids. You're fighting the enemy when they come against your grandkids. You're fighting the enemy when it comes against your finances. You're fighting the enemy when it comes against your very purpose, and you're fighting together under the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. Do we do that? See, when is the last time that you truly, as a husband and wife, had a significant time of prayer? And again, for us, it's certainly not seven days a week, but we try to truly hit it uh, several times a week that we really are on our face together. I mean, we're, all, we're both on our face every day, separate, but what it means to be together in our time of prayer when we go, when we go to battle. But another way that your prayers are hindered, according to 1 Peter 3, 7, is husbands when you're not doing your part. Husbands. When you're not honoring your wives. This is how serious God is about a marriage between a man and a woman. A marriage is only between a male and a female, between a man and a woman. And God says, men, you got to do your part. Men, you need to honor your wives. And what does it truly mean to honor and value your wives as a fellow heir in the grace of God? What does it really mean to know, man, she is a daughter of God first. She belonged to him first and eternally he, she belongs to him. Man, I need to honor that and I need to value that and I need to show her honor and I need to show her value. And the Bible just simply says this, the men, when you're not honoring your wives, your prayers will be hindered. What? Seriously? Yeah, God's kind of serious about his plan for marriage, that the husband do his part and the, and the wife do her part and the man honor his wife. God's serious about that. That says, listen, dude, listen, I can't even hear you. Your prayers are hindered because you don't respect your wife. You're not honoring your wife. Church, God's serious about this. So what is it in our time of prayer that we're like, okay, are my prayers affecting and are my prayers accomplishing much? Like, am I significant in my time of prayer? Not because I have to, not because I just rip out our Father who's in heaven. Like, that's probably the most famous prayer, right? It's probably the most famous prayer. And sometimes when something just becomes repeat, it can become very religious. And we lose, please hear me, man, we lose the intimacy in this. Church, I don't want you to lose the intimacy. I don't want space between you and the Father. I don't want space between you and Jesus. Man, we are filled with his spirit and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And man, what happens to that passion? What happens to that zeal? What happens to that effectiveness? What happens to accomplishing much because we're crying out to the Father? Like when it just becomes religious practice, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're, come on, kids, say it with me. Come on, kid, you, you're encouraging your family. Ah, okay, uh, you're heaven and earth, you know, and you're just going through it. You're just like, it's just religious practice and we've done our things and we move on. No, Jesus is like, no, pray this way. 
truly, church, is your time of prayer, is it based off of relationship? Is it based off of I have a Father in heaven that when I cry out to him, he hears me and he answers me. He hears me and he answers me. What happens when we get that, church? What happens when you go, you go through this and you're like, okay, uh, what, what's another part of this? It says this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation and protect us from the evil one. Give us this day our daily bread. God, I need your provision today. God, I'm asking you for your provision today. God, I need daily bread. I'm asking you to provide. I'm asking you for finances today. For what? For kingdom-minded. God, I want to be able to do more for your kingdom. God, I want to be able to do more for the work of the cross. God, I ask that you would give us this day our daily bread. That's, that's provision. That's finances. Well, I don't think we should pray for finances. Okay, don't, but Jesus said pray this way. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow Jesus' pattern. But keeping finances in, in a, a beautiful place of kingdom-minded. It all starts with kingdom. I love it. Do not lead us into temptation. Church, when you understand this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, right? Do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Your version, NASB says, deliver us from evil. Your version may say, deliver us from the evil one. Church, what is it when, the, when we are praying about forgiveness? This is huge. Lord, forgive me as I have forgiven others. You know, when you understand in prayer, like forgiveness is a really big deal to the Lord. Like for us to understand forgiveness, what it is that you and I have been forgiven. Church, please hear me. I believe this will be a release for many if you get this. If you catch this and you allow this to sink in, I need this, I need this to sink in for a minute. Please hear this. Because this is a huge piece to our time of prayer. Lord, forgive us. And this is how he's teaching us to pray. And, and, and we pray this way. Lord, I know this was sin, and, I, and I, mean, I need you to forgive me. God, I'm asking you to forgive me for things that I don't even know about. God, I want to walk that pure and that right. I want to walk that close to you in such a beautiful relationship. That God, I know that there's things that I need forgiveness for. Either bring them to my attention, or God, just forgive me of these things. That's that close walk. But then he says this as we have already forgiven others. And the truth is this, church, please hear me. God Almighty is serious about us forgiving others. For he says, he says this, listen, if you don't forgive others, I can't forgive you. <laughs> you mean I have to forgive from past years ago? I have, you mean I have to forgive? You mean the wrong that's done to me, I have to forgive? Listen, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. I don't have time to get into that. You can forgive somebody and not trust them. You can forgive somebody and never trust them. But we're called to forgive. Forgive is that pardon. Forgive is that release. So what is it today that even in our time of prayer that can truly accomplish much, we are called to be people who are quick to forgive to keep short accounts. And when you properly forgive, you don't go bring it up again.
What happens when that happens, when that truly happens? Because the Father's serious about forgiveness. He's listening, if you don't forgive, when you know what it is, to, you and I know what it is to be forgiven because of the cross, and when you know that, and you hold bitterness, and you hold anger, and you don't forgive, but you know forgiveness, God the Father says, you know that, I have forgiven you, and you know the power of forgiveness, but yet you won't forgive? It's an amazing depth where God says, I can't forgive you. But when Jesus says, hey, pray this way. Father, forgive me. As I have forgiven those who have trespassed against me. That's amazing. Maybe even this moment you're like, man, I need to show forgiveness to so-and-so. I need to be able to forgive my husband. I need to be able to forgive my wife. I need to be able to forgive my friend. I need to be able to forgive Fill in the blank. See, church, what is it? What is it to, to come to Christ based off of that love relationship? What is it to go through this? And in, in, in our, our, our time of prayer, there's so many beautiful prayers in Scripture, and, and I won't get to where we were going to go today in this. But when you look at Matthew 6 and you understand this is just one example of an outline of how we are called to pray. Lord, don't lead me into temptation or protect me because we know the Bible is very clear. Jesus has gone through everything that we've gone through. He's been tempted in every way and he's without sin. And he will show us how to walk through temptation without sin. And I love that we pray this. Lord, protect me from temptation. I am tempted in this area, whether it be your mouth, whether it be sexual immorality. I am tempted in this way, whether it be your finances. I am tempted in this way. Like, what is that that tempts you that you are like, God, I am praying that, God, that you lead me out of this temptation? Do we pray this way? But, God, I need you to protect me from the evil one. Parents, I strongly encourage you, pray this over your children. Pray this over your sons and your daughters, no matter how old they are. No matter what season of life they're in, God, protect them from the evil one. God, protect them from evil. God, protect them from the enemy. God, no weapon formed against them will prosper. God, protect them from, this is, Jesus said, do this. Pray this way, not out of religion, not because you check the box on your way to work and you just pray and you rip it off real quick. No, it's like, oh God, protect my son. God, protect my daughter, protect my grandson. God, I know that there's evil wrong. I know that the enemy hates him. I know that he's a murderer. I know that he's a liar. I know that he wants them to walk in deceit. God, protect my son. God, protect my daughter. God, protect my grandson. God, protect my wife from evil. God, protect me from the evil one. God, we pray in Jesus' name, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that he will run at the name of Jesus. And God, my son and my family will be protected. Church, what is it to pray? this way because this is what Jesus says there's not a check in a box in this you see what I'm saying there's not just this religious practice to rip through the most famous prayer of all time that so many people can quote and all they do is just quote it but it means nothing where is this for me and you for yours is the power and the kingdom and the dominion 
forever. God, this is on you. You have the authority. And God, you have the power. And God, you have the dominion. And God, it's about your kingdom. Church, and you may be like, Sean, I'm, woo, Sean, I'm not that close. I don't know if I'm that close with my husband. I don't know if I'm that close with my wife to be able to like get on our knees and just pray for one another. What does that look like? Start. Start. Like let it be a couple minutes and then let it grow into five minutes and then let it grow into after a few weeks to 10 minutes and just you begin to pray over these things with power and with authority and you're beginning to see, wow, this is the effective prayer and it does accomplish much. Church, I'm a big fan of what it means to close the gap. Please hear me on this. Please hear your pastor and what it is to close the gap. So many times in your closest relationships, even with you and the Father and you and Jesus, maybe you feel like there's a gap or maybe you feel like there's this distance between us. Well, where do you think that gap came from? Because my Father tells me, Sean, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No, I am faithful. God Almighty is faithful. My Heavenly Father is faithful. So if there's a gap between me and Him, that's on me. And I need to close the gap. If there's a gap between you and your wife, who's the one that, that's strong enough to say, no, I'm gonna, I'm, I need to close that gap. I'm not going to let this gap keep going between us. It's time for me to close the gap. If there's a gap between you and family, you can, you can let that gap get more and more and more. Or you can be like, no, nah, I'm going to be the one who's going to go towards them. I'm going to be the one who's going to show myself for them. And I'm going to be one that's going to close the gap. Church, what happens when that happens in prayer? There might be moments that you have to go have a conversation to close the gap. But what happens when it starts on your knees? Please hear me about relationships. What happens when you begin to close that gap on your knees first? What happens when you close that gap with, 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 with Jesus and with the Father first going, oh, I have been distant. I have drifted. I have gone away. And I need to come back. And that starts in our time of, of prayer. Come on, we got to cruise. We got to cruise. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, please. We got a couple more verses Come back tonight, and I'll try to finish this at Seek. It's going to be incredible. Seek is going to be an incredible night tonight at 6 o'clock. Come on, Colossians, please, chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. I love this. It's just simple. It says, devote yourselves, de devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with our attitude of thanksgiving. Church, you got to see this, man. When you see prayer and praise, they're connected. When you see prayer and praise, they're connected, right? Philippians 4, you can put it up if you want. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, right? Be anxious for nothing but through prayer and supplication. Make, with thanksgiving, make your request be known to God, right? In everything, right? Watch this. Be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. What? With thanksgiving. Prayer and praise are connected. Prayer and praise are connected. What's it look like to fervent in your prayer? What's it look like to be devoted? Be devoted to praying? That means to be consistent, to be persistent in this. Right? But yet we come to him being consistent. We come to him being persistent. We come to him and making it a priority. Is prayer a priority for you? Are you devoted to prayer? Is it a priority to you? Is your prayer and your praise connected? Do you come before him and pray and then give thanks? Do we do that? 
Colossians 4, Philippians 4, talks about what it is to be devoted, to be consistent, to be persistent, to have it a priority, and then attach it with thanksgiving. But then it says this. You, you can take that off, please. And then it says this in Colossians 4. It says to be on alert. Isn't it amazing that a proper prayer life, watch this now, a proper prayer life will keep you sharp? It will keep you sharp. Sometimes we can get dull spiritually because we really aren't into our, our time of prayer like we once were. Man, we have, we have lost the intimacy. We have lost the closeness. Church, what is it to be on alert? What is it to keep sharp? What is it to just simply take Colossians 4, verse 2 and says, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert, staying focused, staying sharp, not allowing the gap to get bigger, but to close the gap. How's your prayer life? Seriously, Believer's Chapel, how is your prayer life? Come on, if you could just stand to your feet with me, please. We'll close out. Man, the close to James 5 is, is about prayer. And just when you just simply ask, like, okay, how is your prayer life? Are you praying? Are you praying based off of religion because I have to? Or I'm praying based off of relationship because I want to? Because I know he hears me. And there's a zeal and there's a passion in my prayer. And I know that it accomplishes much. It keeps me sharp. It keeps me on edge in a healthy way. It keeps me focused. It, it closes the gap in relationship. I'm not letting the gap get bigger. It closes the gap in relationship. Come on, where are you in this today? Truly, where are you in this today? <laughs> to start a prayer life is probably the simplest thing. Father, help me in this. Lord, help. I love you, Lord. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for salvation. Like this is one of those, you know, application to how to pray is just a relationship of expressing your love for him. Just simply love him back. Man, if you need prayer for any reason, church, we'd love to pray with you. And if there's anyone in the back, if you could just, once again, you sit in those amazing seats, if you could clear those seats for us as we get ready for Seek tonight. Come on. Uh, Katie is going to close out in a song. And if you need prayer for any reason, you can come up. If you need prayer tonight at Seek, 6 o'clock, it's going to be great. Father, we love you. I ask that this just sit in, in our spirits and grow and bear great fruit. We love you. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you need prayer for any reason, man, come on.